Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 465 of the Juicebox podcast. I'm happy that you're here. Today, I'll be speaking with Kyle, who was diagnosed as an adult, has a number of people in his family with type 1 diabetes. It's a very interesting story. I really enjoyed our conversation. Here's the one thing, though. Kyle has a very deep voice. He's going to make me sound like a soprano. So get ready. It might vibrate you right out of your seat. I wonder if I could mess with my settings and make myself sound even deeper. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. How's this sound? Nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical, let's go farther, medical or otherwise, always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Did it work? Let me put that back to like normal. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. The episode is also sponsored by Touched by Type 1. You can find out more about them on their Facebook page, on Instagram, and at touchedbytype1.org. Do you ever look at your blood glucose meter and think, I wonder if that thing's accurate? If you do and you don't want to have to worry about it anymore, you really should check out the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. And you can do that at contournext.com forward slash juicebox. There's links in the show notes and links at juiceboxpodcast.com to these and all of the sponsors. When you click on the links, you're supporting the show. All right. If you got any glasses near the edge of the table and you're not listening through headphones, now's the time to slide them towards the middle of the desk before Kyle's massive voice shakes them free. Well, I'm Kyle Knutson, and I uh, live just outside the Minneapolis area. Okay, Kyle. Uh, parent of a type 1? Type 1 yourself? I am a type 1 myself. When were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed August 1st, 2019 as a 39-year-old, Ooh. so later in life. Well, it's just got interesting right off the bat, didn't it? I- <laughs> yeah. You know, I expected you to say like I was diagnosed in 1974 or something, you know, something like that. But but just recently at 39. Okay, so you know, requisite question: any diabetes in the family or other endocrine issues? Yeah. So um, my older brother uh, was diagnosed at 19 years old. Um, so that would have been in uh, 1997, I believe. Um, so he has been, uh, he has been, you know, 20 plus years as a type one diabetic and my younger sister, uh, was diagnosed, uh, I believe at 33 or 34, just a few years ago. So I am the third of my three siblings to be diagnosed with type one diabetes. So So you were the holdout. Yeah, I was the holdout. I thought I had made it, you know, I figured if I hit 4-0, I was going to be good to go. But 39, it snuck it in there. So. I'm super interested in that. Did you have like a arbitrary cutoff in your head? 
you know, um, so so my my older brother was the first of anyone in our family to get it. So we kind of just thought it was a fluke. Okay. Right. I mean that that's that's the premise we had lived with for the better part of twenty years. It wasn't within my aunts and uncles or grandparents. There was no type one diabetes. Uh, anywhere in our family. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my sister got it. And I had that uh, little bit of like, uh, all right, well, maybe there's something more to it, but I'm a healthy 30 something at the time. I, you know, I didn't think a lot of it. Um, And then uh, my, my personal diagnosis story, uh, I I didn't go into DKA. I didn't uh, luckily have to go through that. Um, but I had a couple of weird things going on. Again, not paying that close attention. Now knowing the signs, it would have been pretty easy to pick up on. Uh, but I was at a normal checkup, mentioned a couple of things to my doc. You know, how, you know, he said, how are you feeling? I said, fine. I had a little numbness in my right calf shin area. Um, and then I, I had lost weight, um, prior to diagnosis and then stopped losing weight and then started losing weight again without trying. So it was just kind of a weird, you know, little thing. Um, next day he called me and said, your blood sugar registered at 429. Pretty sure you're a type one diabetic like your siblings. Wow. Hey, you said that you, you just kind of offhandedly said like, I'm a healthy person in my thirties. Did you think of your sister as not optimally healthy or was it just, no, no. No, I would say, yeah, no, all three of us, you know, no major health problems, take reasonably good care of ourselves. I mean, you know, we're, we're, um, there was nothing that when she was diagnosed, that would have led me to believe she was going to be diagnosed either. Um, maybe it was just, you know, blissful deniance on my part. That's well, I was wondering like if it was, (laughs) if you had just like drawn an arbitrary line in the sand, you're like, obviously I'm healthy, so this will be fine. I always think of, um, a friend of my parents when I was growing up who was super skinny, ate whatever he wanted and, you know, had a heart attack and died in his 40s. Uh, yeah, but he right. was never heavy. So he just thought, like, I must be the person food doesn't impact. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's what's inside, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. For sure. But it's just it's interesting. And I like people to have context, too, because, you know, it, you just said it, but you can't look at somebody and tell if they're going to get type one diabetes or not. And it, but it, I, it was just interesting how it was building up around you and you were probably looking for any kind of false flag that would keep you <laughs> thinking this yeah. wasn't going to happen. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. That's, yeah. That's well, awful. one of the, one of the unique things about when I was diagnosed, so I had just from a personal standpoint decided I was going to you know, get in better shape, lose some weight. I was approaching 40. So I had been doing intermittent fasting hmm. um, as a part of my weight loss. So there's so many things with that, that, that would, create similar symptoms to early stages of diabetes, right? So um, I'm guessing I probably missed some of those pieces because of what I was doing from a dietary standpoint leading up to it. So with both of your siblings being diagnosed as adults, do you have any feeling before you're diagnosed for what it is to live with diabetes? Or is it just something you see them do across the room? Like how involved or aware were you? Yes. Uh, uh, so no, no idea what it's like to live with it as an adult prior to diagnosis. Um, I, I, you know, 23, four years ago when my brother was diagnosed, it was a different time in diabetes. Um, we're close. Uh, he's two years older and, and we've always had a great relationship. Um, we went to college together and he, he got it in college. So I was two years behind him, but 
you know, just being around him, understanding kind of some of the signs of when there might be a low or, or some of the stuff he was dealing with being aware somewhat of, of type one diabetes, but really, you know, it was a, it was an afterthought for me. So I never dove in to really understand um, what it was, what it meant, how it changed your life, what, you know, the, the steps that you have to take every day to, to effectively manage it was a completely new learning curve for me. What would you say was the, the first stark thing that struck you after you were diagnosed and you were home and trying to manage, like, what did you, like, what, what, what were your like inner monologue concepts? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so out of the gates, um, uh, a huge fear of hypoglycemia um, because they were so aggressive. What I saw was the aggressiveness that my, my uh, brother's um, doctors used with him to get his sugars down to a normal level. So he had lows quite frequently um, when he was first diagnosed. So that's just kind of what rang in my head, right? Yeah. And not scary lows. I, I don't know that he ever had a seizure or anything like that, that I'm aware of, but, but lows, you know, wake up in the morning and be off and strange and, you know, all the things that happens to type one diabetics when you go into hypoglycemia. Mm -hmm. So, so getting over, I mean, that was kind of the first phase is just not being willing to, um, not, not being willing to manage it somewhat aggressively because of that. So right out of the gates, my whole thought process was around, I don't want to go low. I mean, that, that kind of dominated my, um, thinking. And that's unfortunately how a lot of care teams train you right out of the gates don't go low, yeah. right? Here's, here's how you manage it. Don't go low. Um, but not really having an understanding of all the other pieces of it. So interesting. He's got a completely different management style because it was so many years in the past, but it was the one thing that resonated with you when you look back on that time. Right. Uh, okay. Right. And so the, and then you don't want this to happen to you. Now, what kind of gear are you using as you begin? Uh, so out of the gate, may I, may I, just, you're in Minnesota. They gave you a Medtronic pump, right? Yeah, yeah. no, no, no Medtronic. They pump don't tape that. them to your forehead when you leave hospitals. Uh, in Minnesota. They, <laughs> they don't. Okay. It's funny, actually, my, so my farm D I I've actually quick side note. I've never met with an actual endo endocrinologist. I use my primary care doctor and then a farm D. Okay. Um, and, uh, he, he was not a huge proponent of, Medtronic out of the gates. Not that he didn't dislike it. He threw it out there as an option, but mm -hmm. um, he was much more on the Omnipod or um, uh, T-Slim um, option. So uh, so out of the gates, I was MDI for uh, MDI and finger sticks uh, from August 1st, the time I was diagnosed until I, I think it was right around October 1st, actually, that I ended up uh, getting the Dexcom. Okay. Um, so it was a, it was a couple of months of time. Um, in that time is where I discovered the juice box podcast. I had also started reading sugar surfing, um, on the type that dives into it. So I wanted to learn and understand and, and, you know, I try to control, uh, my existence. Uh, I'm a controlled person. So this was one piece where I needed to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, so out of the gates, it was sticking my finger, trying to understand the trends that my blood sugar was doing, you know, what it was doing, uh, and waiting anxiously and bugging my care team daily about when 
I was going to get the prior authorization for my Dexcom so I could get it and use it and start to actually see what my blood sugar was doing. You were really proactive then. And I like this. I want to understand this a little better. Did you build this care team purposefully on your own or were there just no endocrinologist near you? Um, So, no, I didn't. It wasn't on purpose. And there is... uh, um, there is an endocrinology team within the system that I, uh, that I have, uh, you know, gone to for a while now. Um, but my, my primary care doc who actually the day before I was diagnosed was the first time I met with him. who's a new doctor to me kind of has a, a, a specialty or a liking for the endocrinology system. So it fits within, um, his wheelhouse. So we spoke about it and I said, so when do I go see the endocrinologist? And he said, you don't have to. He said, you can, we can set up that appointment. But he said, I'm in touch with him. I'm happy to handle your care. And then uh, your PharmD would be kind of your primary, um, you know, toys and gadgets and, and dosing and all that stuff. He works with us on that and he's focused specifically on type one diabetics. Um, and I said, all right, let's roll with it. I didn't know any better. So I said, let's give it a shot. And it's, it's worked out really well for me. I tend to agree with that idea. I, I, I know that people, especially as adults, talk about having trouble finding good endos that are helpful with diabetes anyway. And I mean, if you got people who are thoughtful about it and they can write your prescriptions, that seems like most of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And he's been really good about letting me do what I want to do. He mm-hmm. sees my numbers. He understands, you know, he sees my, my graphs, my numbers. He understands. He hears me understanding dosing and what I need to do for my body. And he says, look, you're, you know you better than you, so do your thing. Let me know how I can help. And that, that's that been great. Cool. Hey, Kyle, you're um, riding the rails. You're going across the, the country <laughs> with just a, a, a satchel thrown over your shoulder eating out of a can. Is that what's happening? Yeah, there's a train about three blocks away that is blowing its horn. It's the train <laughs> that goes by about once every three days, so. Uh, it's decided, it decided right now was the time to go by. This is the time of year while I'm recording where my neighbor will pull out. Um, it's I, I, I can only describe it as a lawn vacuum. It is a giant thing that is gas propelled. It has this incredible motor on it that creates this suction. And he pulls it behind a lawnmower. So the lawnmower is running and the blade on the lawnmower is running. And then the <laughs> vacuum is running and it it's actually quieter outside than it is in my house for some reason. <laughs> oh my gosh, and so every once in a while, it happens like once a year and he's sort of neurotic about it. Like, I don't know how everyone else feels about their lawn. I'm not messy, but if I see some leaves in the backyard, I'm not like, Oh gosh, this needs to be rectified immediately. But if he, if leaves fall, which they do all, you know, season long, he jumps out there and vacuums his whole lawn. I imagine he's got a mental illness, but yeah, um, yeah. he's a lovely man. I, I very much like him. I just he's very particular about his lawn and how it looks. You got to talk, talk him into doing your lawn while he's at it. Well, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, we're on opposite political sides, so I'm not sure he would just keep oh. coming over. <laughs> but <laughs> but when he's out there, it would if I have to stop the recording or otherwise it would just go like the entire time. It just vibrates my house. It's fascinating. Um, anyway, I think the train's done. Now. The train's done. Well, we have three weeks then to wait. Um, yeah, exactly. Okay, so I I had a thought before we move forward. Much I I don't want to lose my question. I'm trying to imagine having two small children and a wife. I'm imagining that you have, and then you're coming home from the doctor 
with a with a really serious illness. What's that like for your family? Like, what did you see the impact on them? How did they did they treat you differently? Yeah, no, uh, that's a great question. So, um, a couple of things that helped with my with my wife in particular. So she has a uh, she has two cousins on her side that have uh, from different not not they're not siblings either they're cousins as well um, that have type one diabetes. One was diagnosed I think at like age you know, nine, 10, 11. And the other one was uh, late teens, 18, 19. Hmm. So she had a familiarity with it. Obviously with my siblings having it, she had a familiarity with it as well. So extremely supportive uh, out of the gates. Right. I, I remember when I, when I found out I was driving home from work, it was five 30 at night. My doctor called me, which is never a great thing. Um, so it was, I was 10 minutes from home and he said, Hey, I'm just going to cut straight to the chase. You know, your blood sugar is 429. You're, you're uh, pretty sure you're type one diabetic. Um, I need to see you tomorrow. Um, I said, great. There wasn't a whole lot of conversation because there's not much to say. I said, we'll talk tomorrow. And I had 10 minutes to think about it. I got home and walked in and looked at my wife and I said, so I'm a type one diabetic. And she kind of gave me the look of was, for real like you know it's just that that wow okay this changes things and not that it drastically changes things and now it doesn't affect our lives a whole lot at all um but really supportive out of the gates and the girls you know my girls at the time were nine and six and uh um they you know we have a we have a great family relationship throughout and and they didn't really understand it, but wanted to understand it and, and saw things and asked questions. And, you know, I've, I've just tried to be really, really open with them about what I'm going through and what it means. Um, and now it's become just a normal way of life. They joke with me, make fun of me at times about stuff and, and, uh, you know, they, they have a, a healthy comfort with it. That's excellent. Do you think they're scared that they're going to get it? Because I mean, at this point, it looks like the one thing your parents are really good at is making babies with diabetes. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, uh, I, I think I'm probably more worried about it than they are. I try to shield them from concern. I know what to look for. My wife knows what to look for. So we pay attention. But luckily, at this point, we have two healthy girls that are showing no signs. So. Hey, is the population where you live particularly Nordic? Yes. Okay. Most most of Minnesota is is Nord. I'm Swedish, Norwegian, and Danish. My wife is mostly Swedish with a little bit of Norwegian, I believe. So mostly Swedish. Yeah, so, yeah. We're we're a bunch of Nord. Yeah, your last name is spelled incorrectly. Like it's got letters <laughs> where they don't belong, and so <laughs> that's that's the Danish version of it. So <laughs> it looks like someone took your last name and shook it up, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, just a little bit. But but you know, I think that that's. A really the diabetes is prevalent through that that lineage is that correct do you think uh, that's my understanding yeah i haven't looked deep into it but i have read a handful of things that have said that you know that the diabetes is is more prominent in that uh part of the world the type one and super pale people don't go well together for some reason yeah exactly yeah, yeah. well it's either that or vikings football gives you diabetes and i was well willing, i was willing to go gives- with either <laughs> Yeah, Vikings football gives us a lot of things. <laughs> At least heartburn, right? Yeah, a lot of heartburn. A lot of heartburn. Oh, um, okay, yeah, that, that that makes it. Is your wife a similar background? As far as 
like from a kind of European Nordic. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Sweet, mostly Swedish. Uh, she, she grew. We both grew up in and around the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. So, um, yeah, we have we have uh, similar heritage. Let me ask a question that has nothing to do with anything. Are you guys really tall? Uh, So I am. I'm about six three. My brother's about six six. Um, my wife is not, she's five, six or five, seven. So we're, what, what are the girl? I like that. You're like, my wife's not tall. She's just two inches taller than the average woman. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Arden's five, seven. And she looks like a giant walking around her, her high school. (laughs) (laughs) So my oldest is very tall. She's always been about uh, three, four inches taller than the next closest in her class. The boys are starting to catch up now, but. Um, she's tall. And then my, my youngest is, uh, she's, she's on the taller side of normal, but yeah. she's more. I don't know if you realize just your voice makes you feel tall. <laughs> well, good. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was starting to wonder how people are going to tell us apart, but your voice is deeper than mine. So, and by the way, my deep voice is no in- inclination of my height whatsoever as I'm in completely <laughs> average height. Uh, but actually to you, I'd probably look like deficient somehow you'd probably look at me and think oh my god something happened to that guy <laughs> yeah well it's funny funny story about my height and i said my brother's six six my dad is five eight uh and my mom is five eight as well so I, it, you know it probably came from my mom's side but uh, that is absolutely i know my son my son is legitimately five eleven. like he plays baseball so people think that people who say they're five eleven or five eight and people who say they're six feet or five ten but he's actually five eleven and he did say to me recently, he's like, why don't we tell people I'm six feet tall? I look six feet tall. And I was like, listen, man, what's the difference? You know, but yeah. I know he's pissed at me. He's got to be because my wife's father is six one. Her brother's six four. They have a, uh, a cousin who's like six eight. They've got an uncle who was six nine. And my son's like, I know you're the reason I'm not that tall. <laughs> like he's just I think he sees me as what held him back from being over six feet tall. And uh, I'm sure it'll, it'll, it'll last in and burn in him for the rest of his life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's going to affect the, the relationship long term. It's difficult not to, um, not to feel it. You know, sometimes even like at a, at a baseball game, he'll do something kind of extraordinary. And I know when people look at me, they think, huh, I wonder if he stole that kid from a mall or something like that. <laughs> Uh, I know I know they don't think we're like related by blood. I they can't pos- I don't look sometimes I'm like oh, my mailman must be incredibly athletic. It's <laughs> what I is. My dad got that several several times through high school college, you know, we were both my brother and I both being athletes looking at him, looking at us, looking at him like we, this matches this yeah. is together. This do, is a thing. Do you know that during college recruiting I'd sometimes I'd walk away from him so people wouldn't associate me with him so they wouldn't look and go oh my god that kid's gonna get fat before he's done college we'll just (laughs) we we can't take him he's too much of a risk oh that's funny oh my gosh okay so you said you found the podcast how does a 39 year old guy find a podcast yeah good question uh you are officially the first podcast i have ever listened to um so uh you know kind of navigating through the front side of it um as much as I didn't want to be hypo, uh, I got, I, I did, I, in the same respect, I got, you know, anxious about my numbers being too high. Um, so trying to find that balance, there's not a lot of resources. And on Facebook, uh, my, uh, my doc had said, Hey, check out, um, 
uh, type one, uh, it was not beyond type one. Um, uh, it was a Minnesota type one community. And okay. I'm blanking on the name for right now. No, it doesn't matter. Okay. If it's not me, yeah, we don't right, know any of the name. Right. It's, yeah, not, it's, it's right. juice box podcast and other stuff. So right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> I, I said, all right, cool. So I checked it out and truthfully, uh, out of the gates, I was like, well, this is, this is, everyone's just scaring me more when I, you know, and read through this group and all the problems and people are this and, you know, it's like, it kind of made me a little more nervous. Well, mm-hmm. through that, some of those people were connected to the juice box community on Facebook and we're talking about the juice box uh, podcast. And, and I never really thought much of it the first few times I heard it, you know, just still early on. Um, what resonated uh, was your bold with insulin. Um, I saw that a few times and I saw some people posting pictures of them wearing your t-shirts of all things. Wow. And it just piqued my interest. I'm like, bold with insulin. All right. That seems like what I want to do. How do I find out more about that? that? And that's, that's honestly how I landed in the nice dog and landed on your podcast and listened to a few and then kind of went right into the pro tip series. Cause you were early on the pro tip series yeah. at that point and kind of followed it through from there. Kyle, it's fascinating that, you found a podcast because people badgered me into making a t-shirt. That's how it worked out. It really is. It really is interesting because I am not a person who's interested in, you know, being in the t-shirt business. (laughs) It's not, um, it's not a fun idea for me and it's just not something I, but everyone's like, can you make a t-shirt? I'm like, Oh, all right. You know? And then it, it really is kind of insane that it got to you like that. That that's yeah. it's and isn't it interesting too that you had to how how you know listen it's marketing when you come down to it but obviously right. in a personal situation it's not you had to see something three separate ways and then you were finally like all right I mean I guess this sounds reasonable I'll I'll, I'll take a look and it's something way out of your wheelhouse because you have no idea how difficult it is to explain what a podcast is to most people, how to get it. There's a a woman right now online saying to me, I want to subscribe to the podcast and I can't figure out how she's in a podcast app. And I'm like, (laughs) like you're looking at the show in the app, like push the button that says subscribe now. And then she, you know, it's like, uh, it's just, it's an arduous process to get people to it. So uh, I have to thank all the other people who, who talk about the show uh, so fervently um, because you're a person I never would have reached. So. Yeah, no, I, and I, I, I will say that it truly, it, it was life changing. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that to pump you up, just having a community where everyone is trying to figure out how to be better at managing type one diabetes, whether for themselves or, or someone they're caring for. Um, and, you know, props to you, Scott, you've done a, a just a fantastic job of, of putting your energy into trying to help people live better lives with a disease that's a total pain in the you know i appreciate that i i really do I, and i have to tell you that it's me is confounding to me do, do you know i don't know if that makes sense i get to that you. no yeah, i yeah. totally i get it yeah, yeah i get it, it it's just i i look up every day and i'm like really like you know like the emails come and they come constantly and i love them it's hard for me to answer them i'm like actually today's email day i've already i spent two hours before talking to you trying to respond to people's emails and um and it, it's just once in a while I stop and I think like how am I the guy that how is that how is this the thing like do you know what I mean like like I'm happy yeah. it works and 
it really is just a slow building of it, it, what is it? It's the reason it's sad that you die when you get old because I'm finally getting good at being alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I finally yeah. learned enough things and was able to step back far enough to see them as a bigger picture. And, and even that I, I think it's kind of a, I'm going to say blessing, but people who listen know that I'm not religious, but I do see it as a, as a blessing that I'm even able to communicate my thoughts because I think that's one of the bigger problems around managing insulin is that nobody knows how to explain it to someone else in a way that's digestible and doesn't take, you know, seven years, uh, you know, 15 minutes at a time. And I don't know, like, I can't believe that I'm the one that understands this. I mean, yeah, not that there aren't other people. Don't get me wrong. I'm just, it, it's weird that it's, that I'm one of them, I guess. Uh, you, you know, you, it comes across in listening and, it, and, and maybe it's different being, you know, now 40, but pushing 40 when I was diagnosed, it just comes across that you're, you're genuine about it. Uh, Jenny is also genuine about it. Um, so it's not like someone's preaching or, or telling you how to do things. It's, it's exploring, you know, your path and in, in managing Arden's um, diabetes through her life and just making it practical and applying it and, and welcoming the input of others. And, and it's, it makes it really easy. I'm glad I, I, I wouldn't know another way to do it, honestly. And I am lucky in a couple, you know, I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday. I'm getting ready to write a uh, blog post for a for a website and they they asked me to write something and I was having this conversation and she said why do you think the podcast is so popular because she reached out to me she's like you're it she's like that podcast is all I hear about everywhere and I was like oh that's cool great you know and she's like why do you think it's it's gained traction like this and I said I just really don't want people to be unhealthy and and I figured out how not to do it so feels weird not to tell somebody else. Right. You, yeah. you know, um, and, and I'm lucky I went on to tell her and I'll, I'm happy to tell you, I'm lucky. My wife has a, a comfortable job. And so, and I was a stay at home dad. And so I actually got to witness it, live through it, not have to get up and go to work every day. Not, you know, not think about it from five in the afternoon till nine at night, then pass out, go to sleep, get up in the morning, put eight seconds worth of thought into diabetes, worry about it all day, do it again. Like I was actually able to really diagnose it. There was a person that came into the private Facebook group yesterday and said, it was kind of funny. Um, the private Facebook group has become so popular that people show up there, but don't know what the podcast is. Um, so this guy comes in and says, Hey, um, you guys are all having all this great success. I'm, I'm I dying to know, like, what is it you're like, do like, where do you like, where'd you learn this? I think was the question. People are like, uh, the podcast. And he's like, what podcast? <laughs> so I'm like, like, that's really like trippy, you know, but I, yeah. I thought about going into the thread and saying the way I learned about diabetes was to stare at my daughter for years and figure out how to help her. And then I wrote about it on a blog until I was really good at explaining it. And then I started this podcast because that's really the truth. If I didn't have the time and I guess the desire too. I guess if I was a different person, the time might not matter. But I'm just a I'm the perfect blend to figure this out. I had time. I'm a caregiver at heart. Um, I'm kind of emotional. So when I was failing her, I I felt it very deeply. And at the same time, I'm a guy, so I didn't like fall down a rabbit hole of emotion. I was just like, damn it, I got to right. fix this. You, you know. Right. So it's just a it's a lucky, dumb, random mix. If I could, yeah. if I got thrown into a different life, I, I might be, you know, a complete failure. Like who knows? 
seriously. Well, I'm, I'm glad you landed on this one because it's been helpful. Well, I'm, I'm happy you're better off. I'm pretty sure Arden doesn't uh, share your sentiment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah, I get that. Uh, but yeah. but it, even she's really, even that's a good example. Like, she's completely comfortable. Like, think of all the personal things we talk about on here about Arden. Yeah. And she doesn't care. Yeah. She doesn't have yeah. a, she doesn't have a thought in the world about it. She doesn't know who you, any of you are, and I don't think she cares to. She's just yeah. she's like if it's helping people, that's cool, and that's it, you know. Um, but yeah, right. so what what struck you first? So you're you you're scared of lows, but you realize you don't want to be higher. You don't want to have that variability. Like what was what was the breakthrough thought for you? Gvoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto-injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes, ages 2 and above. Not only is Gvoke Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Gvoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk. I want you to go to touchedbytype1.org and check out their programs. Their annual conference, their awareness campaign, Bowl for a Cause, the dance program, Dancing for Diabetes, their D-boxes, and upcoming events. Actually, Kyle Banks is coming up on April 26th for them. Kyle was on the show last year, so if you enjoyed Kyle and you want to meet up with him personally... He's the Broadway actor from The Lion King who has type 1 diabetes. Go find out more at touchedbytype1.org. I just saw it now. Quite literally, I just clicked over to my web browser to go to touchedbytype1 to find out the date for Kyle Banks. And there's a person who has a continuous glucose monitor and a meter, and they're looking at the numbers and they don't match and they can't figure out why. I look, and it's obvious in a second. They're using a Dexcom G6 and a meter that was made in 1914, or at least it feels like that. So if you've got an old busted up janky meter, it's probably not accurate. The Contour Next One blood glucose meter is super accurate. It's also very affordable and has second chance test strips. You can find out all about this at contournext.com forward slash juice box. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. Check out that Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Find out if you're eligible for a free meter. Check into their test strip program. Look around the website. For a blood glucose meter website, it is an incredibly well put together and easy to navigate. There's also a ton of information there. Look, I love this blood glucose meter. It's easy to hold, easy to use, and easy to use at night. Has a super bright light and easy to read screen. I like the way it feels in my hand, and I love that if I miss the blood drop the first time or don't get enough, I can go back and get more without ruining the test strip or messing up the accuracy of the test. Touchedbytype1.org, gvoglucagon.com forward slash juicebox, and contournext.com forward slash juicebox. Check them out. They are worth your time. Links in the show notes, links at juiceboxpodcast.com. When you click on those links, you're supporting the show. Let's get back to Kyle. What was the breakthrough thought for you? 
when I was diagnosed, uh, you know, my blood drop, blood sugar level was, you know, 429, like I said, but my, my A1C was 14.2. So quite high. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and, and that, that 14.2 is what I started kind of doing some research around. Like, what does A1C mean? What is that? What is that? Um, you know, what is that telling me? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's where probably some of my anxiousness about the highest came around. So, um, trying things, you know, I was on, on Lantus and, and, uh, Novolog pen out of the gates and just trying things and watching, you know, at watching my trends through finger pricks at first night, once I found your podcast, I still didn't have my Dexcom. So I'm trying to establish trend lines through, I don't know, 15 finger pricks a day. I mean, I was, you know, mildly obsessive about it because I really wanted to understand what my blood sugars were doing. Um, getting the Dexcom obviously made a huge difference. And with, before that, I was already just being more bold, right? If, if something wasn't working, I wasn't just saying, okay, well, uh, you know, 15 grams of carbs is one unit and that's just is what it is. If, if something was sideways, I was correcting. Um, I was, I was, starting to pay more attention to what different foods were doing to me, you know, from a glycemic load standpoint, whatever else, you know, mm-hmm. um, maybe a protein bar at, at, at certain grams of carbohydrates is going to be true to, uh, uh, you know, one to 10 or one to 12 ratio, but that same carb load in a piece of white bread is much different. So I started just to pay more attention to that. Um, and then really started to, to just, be more aggressive and be more bold and try things and know that if I could catch it, um, a low wasn't really scary anymore. The other thing that really resonated with me, and I think I mentioned to you in our first kind of communication a few months back, is stopping the arrows. And stopping the arrows is so key to my daily diabetes management because, again, another one of your sayings, if you prevent highs, you're just as likely to prevent those lows, right? Mm-hmm. If you keep yourself from going high. So I, I try to make sure my trend lines are, are stable. I try to make sure all of those things. And that's really what I started to focus on is understanding when you have to take the insulin. When does it need to hit? Um, when, when do I maybe have to do a split dose? Cause I was MDI at the time. Um, so on and so forth. And, and really honed in on that. So I went in the end of October for, uh, a check on not a diabetes related check, but I, what, since I was in, I said, well, you might as well do a blood draw and see. And I had brought my A1C down to 6.8. So from August 1st at 14.2 to end of October, I was, um, 6.8, which I felt like was a pretty great start, uh, to my diabetes journey. And listening to the show, it, did it resonate with you immediately? Did you have trepidation that you were able to blow past? Because I'm I'm asking because I see people intersect with the information in a couple of ways. And one of them is they'll see it, it'll make sense to them, but their fear is so overwhelming they can't they can't break past it. Um and but you're you're not you're not the typical like archetype listener for the show. Do you know what I mean? Like you're yeah. I, I, I there are men listening. Um but I don't know how to say this. Like I've interviewed a lot of guys and, you know, most of them are more like me. They're, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to say here. Hold on a second. You're a very manly guy, Kyle, is what I'm saying, <laughs> right? Like you're a big yeah. motorcycle riding guy. 
And, yeah. and you know, I, I think of Jeremy, who was on a few weeks ago, who's, you know, like works at a Harley dealership. And yeah. I'm like, I'm like, how did I reach Jeremy? Because it seems like you and he shouldn't intersect well with this, but you did better than a lot of people. Yeah, I, um, I jumped right in. Uh, once I, once I, once I had kind of affirmation of there's a better way to manage it. And that was both through your, your podcast, through reading what people were posting within the online community. Um, you know, reading a couple of the books that I was reading, I, I kind of made that switch right away to say, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to get aggressive. I'm going to do this because what I'm currently doing isn't working the way I want it to. So it's, I'm making the change. Yeah. Um, so it didn't take long for me to, to really just embrace it and go with it and get bold and, and do it. Um, it, it hit right away. And yeah, again, you were my first podcast. So I would imagine that I am probably not the normal <laughs> listener or the normal one. You know, I ride a Harley, I snowmobile, I, you know, we boat all summer and it I'm looks like you've killed and, something with your hands at some point, or at least a bow and arrow or something. I, yeah. I, bur- you know, I hunt some. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. There's, I'm good with it. I'm just everything. imagining you riding an elk. That's all. So, <laughs> I haven't done that yet. We'll get to it, Kyle. What the hell? No, but even like I'm trying to imagine you intersecting with me through a podcast and sticking with it. You must have really been desperate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I probably was. Yeah, I was. You're like, there's this guy uh, from New Jersey just talking a million miles an hour about a lot of things that no one has said to me yet, and you you stuck in and listened. That's really cool. It, it really yeah, is. I, I know I can say this to you because I, I appreciate your sense of humor, but I do remember early on reading, you know, the way people were writing about this Scott guy, uh, uh, you know, and, and how he's changed their lives. And I'm like, yeah, who, who do these people think this guy is? Like some... <laughs> diabetes savior with some <laughs> podcast you know that was early on but then i got it i understood right i i it it, it resonated i have so. to tell you man i see some of the the really kind things that people post online or you know on instagram and stuff and there's part of me that wants to jump in and be like hey you guys got to calm down a little bit <laughs> <laughs> i swear to you there are there are moments when i feel like i'm being spoken about like a deity and it, <laughs> it really is it's strange for me just so you're like I, i'm not I know somebody out there thinks I'm lying, but I don't see that and just go, oh, finally being treated the way I deserve. Like, I just, I'm like, oh, this is, it feels weird to me. I'm really thrilled that people are having such great success and that they're willing to tell other people. But you have to understand that I don't see me the way you see me. It's, um, you know. I, 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 I can tell that very readily. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. No, and I totally get it. Yeah. Cause I, my family teases me constantly. I walked in the room the other day. So, all right. Hold on. I needed a drink. Sorry. Um, I got this really nice email. I get a lot of really nice emails. And apparently, if I think to tell my wife about them, I apparently start the conversation by going, hey, I just got a really nice email. Would you like to hear it? So I guess I've used the phrase really nice email enough. So I come in the room literally last night and Arden and Kelly are together. Our house is so strange now. Kelly's taken over the dining room. And, you know, like she's working in there and Arden was doing her homework in there. And I come into the room and I pause and Arden's got my sense of humor, like exactly. And before I can open my mouth, she looks at me and goes, any chance you received a really nice email you'd like to share with us? (laughs) I was like, shut up. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) And so I said no. And then she laughed and she goes, 
were you coming in here to tell us about that? And I was like, well, I did just get a really nice email. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really great. It, it, it's, that's um, great. if I really stopped and thought about it, I think I'd be overwhelmed by it. Um, yeah. and so I try to just keep going. I see the podcast is growing and it's reaching people and it's, it's generally helping people. And so I just want to keep going. I also don't have the burden of, um, well, how do I want to say this? There are a lot of people who share things online and I don't know that they're not sh sharing it because I think it's a business first to them, I guess is what I mean. And, you know, I just don't have that feeling. I, I think that the podcast, I mean, it makes money because it has ads, but it has ads because it's helping people. And because I don't, I don't do anything to grow the podcast. I can't, I couldn't afford to buy an ad or no, nor would I know how to do that. And so people are helped by it. They tell somebody else about it. It gets bigger because it's bigger. It's, it can support advertisements. And, and to be perfectly honest, at this point, it takes up so much time that if it couldn't support advertisements, I don't think I'd be able to do it. So I think it's a pretty fair trade-off. It's basically my full-time job at this point, and you got it for free. And so, yeah. and so I feel good about that. What I don't feel good about sometimes is, you know, seeing people say like, Hey, I bet you don't know about pre-bolusing. And of course people don't know about it a lot of times. And they go, Oh, if you just for $60, I'll explain it to you in my one month course. I'm like, Oh, that feels uh, dirty to me. But then yeah. again, I don't need $60. I don't know if, I, I don't know what I would do, Kyle, if I did, like if I was yeah. financially struggling, like, would I pimp this podcast out? I'm not sure. I don't think I would. It doesn't seem like me, but it's also it's not my life, so I'm not I'm not certain. So I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying that I think it's easier for you to accept because I don't appear to be asking you for anything. And you know, that makes it I or, or am I am I overthinking it? No, 100%. I, I that that's that's what got that's what got me into listening to it is I could tell you weren't doing it to talk about uh the different products within type one diabetes that support your podcast, right? That's not why you were there. You oh. were there to try to get the information out to people who, who can really benefit from the information. I'm glad I'm very, it, it's hard to um, know if you're doing what you mean to be doing sometimes. I don't know if that, that makes sense or not, yeah. but I, that is my yeah. intention. I just, I, I, I've probably said it a thousand times, but I used to cry in the shower and I don't think that's how people should have to live, especially if, if I'm if I'm telling you, like if I said to you right now, hey Kyle, now that you've heard the podcast, does it make sense that I think that you can manage your type one diabetes really well, manage insulin well, if you just get your basal insulin straight, pre-bolish your meals, and understand that different foods have different impacts? Yeah, that's yeah. it, right? Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, I'm. You, you know. it, it, it's almost that easy. <laughs> it I mean, really it really is. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I I I mean, I've you know, I'm a. Well, 15, you know, 14, 14 months, 14 and a half months into my journey at this point in time. And, um, you know, if I look at my two week Dexcom right now, it probably says my average is 106, 107. And my standard deviation is somewhere around 15 to 18. And wow. that's not difficult for me to maintain week after week, month after month at this point. Um, it's, it's, once you have, and it's a few basic tools. I free bolus. Um, I, you know, I, I watch my Dexcom around the time that I'm eating. So I understand what's going on. I'm, I'm now I'm, I'm on Omnipod as well. Um, I'm not looping at all. Uh, I just kind of do it organically at this point. And, yeah. and uh, um, I got both of my siblings on to, 
uh, Omnipod as well. Neither of them were on a pump. Uh, my brother, you know, 20 some odd years in wasn't on a Dex or a pump. He was still just finger sticking and uh, doing multiple daily injections. And I've, you know, since turned him into a Dex and Omnipod user and he loves it and he's lowered his A1C and he's um, doing doing really well with it. So do they listen or do you kind of pass what you've heard to them? How does that work? Uh, my sister listens. Um, and then I just talk their ear off all the time when we're together and ask them questions and push them and, you know, they probably get sick of me, but, um, I don't know if it's a good question. I don't know if my brother's listened or not. He's certainly familiar with it. Um, and I know he is a part of, I believe he is part of the online, the Facebook community, um, is his name yeah, Sven or Thor or something like that? It's, it's, it's uh, yeah, Sven. No, it's, it's Kirk. So close actually. Uh, I, I would have gotten to it if I guessed three more times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. We're all K's, uh, Kirk and Kim and Kyle. Nice. So. I I'm, I'm following four children right now. My daughter being one of them. It's 11 o'clock here. Arden's just powering through with school. She probably hasn't even eaten yet. Um, there's a little boy whose mom I would describe as patently lost eight days ago. Um, my daughter's friend and the mother of a 11 year old who again, three days ago, whose graph was a disaster. And I have blood sugars in front of me that are 126, 148, 120 and 119. And they're all stable. So it, 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 it really isn't, I'm not trying to say diabetes is super simple. I'm saying that there are steps you can take that will lead to that. I mean, three of those kids have eaten breakfast already, and two of them were what I would call bad at diabetes less than a week ago. And and now they're not, and they're getting over their fears. They're understanding how to use their insulin. And I'm going to, you know, th these two other people that I'm following, I'm going to be unfollowing them probably today. They don't need me. They're fine. And, get it. you know, it just, it, it comes to them. I, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to say there's three things you understand. You know, what I'm saying is, is that the culmination of this podcast will lead you to Kyle's outcome. If you can hear it and, and not be afraid of it, I, I don't see how it doesn't. I, I buy now, I keep Arden's A1C in the fives by mistake. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not even trying anymore. So yeah. it just, it just happens. You do the things and then it happens. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I checked uh, at midsummer. I had my you know annual A one C check. It was sometime in July, and I was at I was at a six. That's excellent. And and the month leading up to that, I had uh, a motorcycle trip and a couple of other things where my blood sugar was probably higher than it normally would have been. So truthfully, I I would guess I'm a consistent five and a half to six at yeah. this point. How is it? Did did you keep your blood sugar higher to ride on purpose? No, I didn't. So that that's a that that's an interesting dynamic to my life as being on motorsports and and where the blood sugar threshold crosses. Right, um, I uh, I probably would knock back my my mealtime insulin by maybe a half a unit while I, while if I knew I was going to then hop on my motorcycle and ride. Mm -hmm. um, just to be on the safe side, because I tend to be a little more aggressive. So, you know, um, I just dialed it back slightly uh, with a with kind of in my head, if I could kind of land in that 100 to 110 range, once everything's settled down, then I know I'm comfortable and I have time to react. 
Yeah. Um, but I didn't, I didn't want to get into that. I'm going to keep it up at one thirty or one forty all day long, just because I don't want to have to think about it because uh, you know, it's just, that gives, that makes me anxious, mm-hmm. uh, to be at that point for that long. So, um, so a little bit like right now, I'm looking at it right now. I'm at a 91 straight as an arrow. And I've been that way for the last 45 minutes in Kyle, the low nineties. Kyle, you're a disciple of this podcast. <laughs> you're gonna have a goddamn t-shirt one day <laughs> I, I, try. I try i don't know if they come in your size but i think but <laughs> i'm only an xl i'm taller than i am wider gotcha. so. well listen let me uh let me run my male bona fides up the pod uh, up the pole for a second here uh i only rode a motorcycle for years i i didn't have another form of transportation i, I grew up mm. i was so broke growing up that um I needed a, I needed a way to get to a job, right? So my job, I worked in a sheet metal shop making $5 an hour. It was about 20 minutes from my house. Now I couldn't afford car insurance. So my father left my mom. My mom didn't drive. So nobody in the house was insured. So the state of Pennsylvania thought that I needed to pay $4,000 a year to insure a free car. My uncle gave me, uh, you know, <laughs> that was worth eight cents. Uh, and so I couldn't figure out how to get on the road. So I went to a local motorcycle place my dad had ridden off and on you know when i was younger i so i had been a passenger on a motorcycle but not frequently and i'd never ridden a motorcycle in my entire life so i go to this place i pick out a motorcycle that looks like it's you know a good starter bike for the you know the lack of a better term i think it was a it was suzuki something 500 it just had a little 500 cc engine in it and I was broke, but it was only, a th- I think the bike was like $2,500 brand new. So I could get like this loan on it where I paid like $89 a month for this motorcycle. And, and insurance was like free. Basically, it was yeah. very inexpensive. So I, yeah. I, I do all this and the guy's like, okay, when do you want to pick it up? I said, I need you to deliver it. And he said, we don't deliver them. And I said, well, I don't know how to ride a motorcycle. So I'm going to need you to deliver it. And he, they, they begrudgingly brought it to my house and left it there. And then I would go outside in the afternoon after work in a parking lot next to my house and taught myself how to ride a motorcycle. And I just did it over and over again. The first time I went out on the road, I thought my heart was going to explode, um, you know, from my nerves. But I remember that feeling. Horrible. Yep. But by the time I was done, I had ridden almost 200,000 miles on a bike by the time I, oh, I last awesome. rode one. And um, you won't be you won't care about this, but I rode a GSXR 750 for a really long time. That's a great bike. I love that bike so much. I miss riding motorcycles in a way that's hard to put into words. Um, But I lost my nerve one day in the strangest way. I had been hit by a car. Didn't bother me. Um, I'd laid my bike down a couple of times. Never bothered me. Uh, One day I parked it outside of a store on a hot day and the, uh, the kickstand kind of melted into the blacktop and it fell over. And when I picked it up, it had like $2,000 worth of damage on it. And for some reason, my brain said, hey, if that could happen to it falling over, Hmm. why aren't we worried about it when it's moving? And I swear to you, after 200,000 miles, I lost my nerve to ride. Just And I don't know what happened. I just lost my nerve. I sold it, and I've never been on a bike since then. But I I laid my bike down uh, last spring, last May, May of. 2019 uh i someone was in my lane so i had to lay it down to not run into them um and uh, i wondered if i would lose my nerve uh but you know what i knew my bike was totaled right away it was a friday night saturday i was 
bike shopping. Yeah. Uh, and I just hopped right back on and kept going. I am a person who was comfortable. 90 miles an hour was 40 to me. And, yeah. and I've been, I got to 165 once and let me explain that to you. It ain't fun. And so, uh, <laughs> I haven't done that. <laughs> I was on this highway one morning. Uh, it was like four in the morning and the sun was up and there was like, just, it felt like there was not another soul in the world that was out there. And I was at a light, you know, and it was one of those, it's one of those, it's in the, it's outside of Philly. So people who know there's like lights on the highway and then there's not for a while. And oh. so I'm sitting at the light and I looked down at the speedometer and I thought, 170. I wonder if it goes 170. <laughs> it's the first time I ever thought that in my life. And I was like, <laughs> I'm going to find out. And what I can tell you is that at 160 miles an hour, you can't focus on anything. Like yeah. things are flying past you so quickly. Like I picked a point off in the distance and I just tried to stay on it. And I got to that speed. I think I counted to two and I brought it right back down again. And I was like, well, I'm never going to do that again, but that was interesting, but you, but you did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it right. was, you, it was exhilarating. I have to tell you, oh my God, I I'm was sure pulled over one time. Uh, what a good story. It doesn't fit here in the podcast, but, uh, let's just say that if you appeal a ticket enough times, you can get out of it. So, <laughs> good to know. Oh, noted. <laughs> it's my third appeal. The first judge, Kyle, I, um, she comes in, she reads the thing and she says, you're being charged you're being charged with going 105 miles an hour over the speed limit. <laughs> how over. Do, how do you plead? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I started to speak. I swear to you, as a female judge, I got a half of a word out of my mouth and she slammed the gavel down and went, guilty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. And I was like, thank you, Your Honor. How do I appeal? <laughs> like, oh, my word. So um, my talking skills, eventually, I eventually ended up in a court in Center City, Philadelphia, and I talked my way out of it. I explained to him that it was stupid and that I, you know, I, my family, you know, counted on me and my mom doesn't drive. My dad's not with us. And I don't know why I did this. I shouldn't have. And I don't know what I said. I was in a, I was in a zone, you know, and when I got done, he said, okay. And he found me guilty of avoiding a stop sign. And, oh. and as I turned around, the, the, the district attorney said, we owe you a refund. And I said, you can keep it. And I walked out the door cause I was afraid somebody could change their mind. You know? Like, yeah. Right. I don't need it. I had paid them like $400 <laughs> fine. I ran out of the courtroom. I got outside and the officer comes out and he goes, yo man, that was impressive. And I said, thanks. I don't even know what I did. You, you know? And then you hear a voice and it's the judge and they want me back in the chamber and I walked back in and I, I honestly was walking towards him thinking he can't change his mind. Like he already hit the table with the stick. Like yeah, I'm done. Right. You know? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He did the thing. And he's, yeah. and I was like 21 years old and he said, um, Hey man, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, right now, I just really want to get out of here. <laughs> and he laughed and he goes, no, I mean like for a job. And I said, I have no idea. He's like, what do you do now? I said, I work in a sheet metal shop. And he goes, you should be an attorney. And I was like, yeah, how come? And he says, because I have no idea why I just let you out of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. And I was like, excellent, man. I got to go. Goodbye. Yeah. See ya. <laughs> by the way, props to Philadelphia. Three and a half years later, that money showed up in the mail refunded to me. Oh, wow. They That's actually great. found me and gave me my money back. Uh, and I was fun. so broke, it was like somebody sent me a million dollars to the mail. I was yeah, like, right. That's a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I I love writing and and I but I'm interested like when if if you see a number because I'm assuming you bump your numbers a little bit, 
can you bump while you're while you're going or do you pull over to do that how do you handle it yeah so um uh my buddies will make fun of me here and there if i you know they call it the beat of stop um uh, there's there's times where if i'm going high i'll pull over uh and just say you know hey I, i need five minutes just to do something with my pump here quick and then we'll be back on the way. Um, if I'm trending low and again, I I'm normal, I'm not in a situation where I'm, where it's a, a free fall, right? It's, it's a slow trend with me generally. Um, I keep a couple of lifesavers in my jacket pocket and, you know, pop it out and pop a lifesaver in and keep heading down the road. And I mean, if it gets more than that, I'll certainly pull over and make sure that it's safe. But, um, for the most part, I can manage it while I'm on the road and we do trips we were in Utah for five days and we're riding three, 400 miles a day this last summer. And yeah, I managed pretty well for the whole trip without any major incidences. So yeah. Beautiful there, right? Utah. Oh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. There's a lot of best writing I've ever done. Yeah. There's a lot of listeners to the show that I get emails. They're like, you should move to Utah. Cause I always talk about like, I want to retire somewhere where there's no humidity and I don't want snow. And sometimes they're like, well, the snow, but look here. And they'll send me like pictures of places. And I'm like, man, that is gorgeous. You, you know, like really something. Plus I'm huge. Yeah. I'm huge in the, um, in the, um, oh my God, a word just slipped out of my head. How did that happen? Oh, it's not hunting. No, it's the church in, uh, in Utah. Oh, uh, the Mormon church. Oh, I, yeah, I am like the, di- I'm, I'm the diabetes, like, like I think I'm the diabetes guru in 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 the Mormon church within so, the LDS. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how that happened, and I'm I'm thrilled about it. By the way, in case people are listening, I I would also like to be huge in all the other churches. In case you're wondering, yeah, uh, yeah. Steadfastly trying to get people to listen to the podcast, absolutely everywhere. Um, yeah. That's really something. So you're can I? I don't want to talk about people who aren't you because it seems unfair. Yeah. But your brother seems to fall into a category for me. Is that time? when people were diagnosed where really it was just about like, Hey man, eat at this certain time, give yourself this insulin. You know, it it was all very just regimented and not specific, I guess at the same time, which is interesting mix. And they don't, those people so frequently don't seem to translate out into a, a modern management system. Do you have any idea why? Like, why did you have to push them out of it? Yeah. I, I think it was probably just not knowing, you know, not again, to your point, not to necessarily speak for him, but I, I started talking to him about pre-bolusing and I'm like, and, and then at the same time he had a, a CDE that he met with that had pushed him on pre-bolusing. And I remember he and I talked about it probably 30 days after he started doing, it. he's like, that, that makes a huge difference. He said, you know, I rarely see myself go above 200 anymore because I pre-bolus. So it's, it wasn't an unwillingness. It, I think it was just an not knowing, know. right? not knowing that there's another way to go about it. Uh, I, I think it's as simple as that. Yeah. The most heartbreaking notes that I get usually include the sentence, how could nobody have told me this? Yeah. And, you know, for, for older people who've been living with diabetes for a long time, like it's, it's confounding to them as it is to me, but to them, especially when you, you've been living with a seven, five or an eight, a one C your whole life. And someone tells you, you're doing great. You're doing great. You're doing great. And yeah. you're like, Oh, I'm doing great. And then, you know, uh, three weeks after, I mean, let's be honest, Kyle, if, if nobody can say it, you and I can say it, I'm 49 years old and I have a podcast. It's kind of ridiculous. And yeah. you know, <laughs> and you're listening to it. So 
you know, yeah, you're in 40, the same boat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but yeah. We're, I'm, I'm, it, it it shouldn't be. This isn't where it should come from. Right. You know, right. it just isn't. And but it is. And it's going to be like we could say, you know, we could pick any number of political, you know, or, or society type ideas and say this isn't how it should be. But it is how it is. And I guess that yeah. I'm glad that, that it works and that it's helpful to people. It just is, you know, on a on a very basic level. It's sad that no one ever said that to your brother before and that you had to get diabetes for him to find out. Yeah. You know, yeah, I wish there was another way. I mean, honestly, stop and think about it. Your brother knows to pre-bolus because three years ago, I got so many emails where people were like, can you make a t-shirt? And I was like, oh, God, all right, I'll do it. And, but, but yeah. you know, like that's that should not be the pathway to health is what it I'm getting at. <laughs> no, it should not. You know, I have another uh, a friend, a gal that's had diabetes longer than my brother. She's um, She's from Minnesota and was on a certain – you know, Minnesota manufactured insulin pump with, with reasonably good success Mm -hmm. and asked me about the Omnipod Dexcom setup and was astonished that there was another option. Um, like I, my care team had never talked to me about anything, but you know, the Medtronic system. Um, and she switched and that's nothing bad about Medtronic in that she just, it, the tubeless, the, the fact that it was, um, a little, uh, the Dexcom was a little more reliable than, than the Medtronic, uh, CGM. And she's had great success with it since switching and was like, I, I would, if I hadn't asked you, I would have never known. And had I not gotten on your podcast, I would have been on the T Slim. That was my plan from my, um, early listening. But, uh, the Omnipod was ultimately what I landed on because of the other features, the flexibility, the ease of the ease of use, you know, um, no tubes. That's yeah. so huge for me. No hey, tubes. I, I just want to say out loud in case someone from Omnipod is listening, let's not go round and round about the ad cost next year. Did you hear what Kyle just said? All right, we're good. All right. Uh, <laughs> That's right. That's right. My stamp of approval. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. They're actually very nice to me uh, that we, we don't argue about stuff, but I just wanted to tease there for a second. Um, no, they're, they're great. Yeah. They're, they're great. You know what? It, it really is lost on most people and there'd be no reason for them to understand that sales people come to your doctor and talk to them about drugs. And I mean, it's, it's not nefarious. It's just, it's the only way the drug companies can, you know, if there's three different drugs that lower your blood pressure, you know, and I'm drug B, how do I get the word out? I send somebody to your office to tell you about drug B. And, and if I get there first, that's the one you prescribe. And, I think that you being in Minnesota where, I mean, I don't know how aware people are, but that's where Medtronic is. And, yeah. and they probably just have a stranglehold on the area because it's easier for their salespeople to get out. I would think, you know, they don't, they don't have to travel and you don't have to set up a, a remote office. You're right there. Um, yeah. And Medtronic has such huge name recognition in Minnesota and they're a great company and philanthropic and all of those things. So there's so many good things about Medtronic. Yeah. Um, but I, I had no idea who insulin was, uh, before, you know, but truly listening to your podcast, but looking into it in general, I, I had no idea. I didn't even know it was an option. Hmm. Uh, that's well, I'm glad that, listen, I'm glad you had the option in the end, joking aside, I don't care what insulin pump you use. I want you to be happy, but if you know about them all, then you can make a decision. It's not just like, Oh, this must be the insulin pump. It's how I, and I feel that way because that's how I felt about insulin. Like my daughter struggled using Novolog, but I just thought that's what the doctor gave us. So this is insulin. 
I never yeah. imagined there was others, and and Arden is you know thrives on a Pedra, uh, and not to not to say that there aren't people who use Novolog with a ton of success, and I'm sure there are plenty of people who use Medtronic pumps with a ton of success, etc. Tandem, whatever. But you need to know so you can choose, and yeah, you know, I think yeah, I, I I started on Novolog and actually uh, switched, and for some reason with me, I'm on Humalog now uh, because I had to try Humalog before I could try. Is it Fiosp or Fiosp, however yes. you say it? Yes. That's what I wanted to try, but I had to try both. Humalog is a completely uh, different experience for me. My mm. I pre-bolus uh, 20 to 30 minutes to get a bend as opposed to Novolog. There was sometimes I, I had to wait 60 minutes for my blood sugar to start to bend after pre-bolusing. My, my, I have friends and siblings that are on Novolog that don't have that same um, experience. So right. it's just, it's very, it's a very personal, everything about this disease is very personal. In Arden, Novolog would take forever to work and peak at the wrong time and crush her. Apedra, yeah. is super smooth for Arden. So I could, I could pre-bolus a, an 89, 20 minutes out, like it's nothing. And it's just, it's super smooth and consistent for her. Um, she tried Fiasp recently, and I'm going to tell you, it was great. It was hmm. absolutely great, but it burned her constantly. So hmm. you know how people talk about injection site burning. So with with Fiasp, I guess there's I don't listen. I'm out of talking out of school here, but I think there's a protein in there or something that makes it work the way it works, etc. I don't know. Obviously, that's not very technical. But it whatever it was, um, not only did it did she have injection site burning at a bolus, but she'd wear a pod for three days. And when she got done, it was, bru it felt bruised. She said it's oh, really? it, just from the basal rate. It stung constantly. And she was a real trooper. She went through two vials because some people had reported it going away after a while. So Arden's like, I'll, I'll tough it out and see what happens. But she was sore for a while while she was wearing it. And when it came off for a day or so afterwards. Um, mm -hmm. And so we wanted to keep using it because the pre-bolus time was, real short and it and she was not having any drifty lows at all after meals and um not that she is a ton but they were even better like her time and range got better her line got more stable and we wanted to keep using it and it just it it it, it just wouldn't because of the burning sensation and the what what feels like you know bruising when you're done with it yeah, that's it. I have read about that that burning sensation when I was looking yeah. into it. So that's interesting. It was My experience with Humalog is very similar to hers with Apedra. I can pre-bolus 20, 25 minutes on a 85 to 95 with confidence knowing that it'll pick up right where I need it to be once I eat. So it's, yeah. it's, it's been a good experience for we, me. We actually did a thing last night. Her pump site just you know when a pump site goes and you and you really you start getting good at it and you can see right away like oh this is it like even though the pump's not done for seven hours like i'm gonna i'm gonna change oh, yeah. it now right so last yep. night she's sitting around doing homework around like seven at night and i'm watching her blood sugar go up for reasons that i don't think make sense and that when you hear me talk about like when the insulin doesn't do what i expected to do like that's what was happening i knew it wasn't food i knew it wasn't a bolus so i was like this is I think it's the site. So as she climbed over 140 and we bolused and she didn't move, I was like, hey, you got to change your pump. So she's doing something. I'm cleaning the kitchen. We finally get the pump on and she's gone like she popped right up to 190, which is fairly uncommon for us. 
And yeah. she's like, I'm hungry too. So we switched the pump, which now has a Pedra in it again, but we still had the Fiasp. So we injected a couple of units of, of the Fiasp. And oh. uh, I was like, huh, let me see what happens here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, cause you change a site sometimes and they're not as reactive right away. So I was like, well, this right. like, so I we put in a little Fiasp. It ate up her blood sugar. Um, I bolused, we bolus 10 units or 10 grams, excuse me, for a cookie she wanted to have. And then we watched the, this very slow decline, like 190, 180, 170, 160. She got the 130. And I was like, you still want that cookie? And she said, yeah. I said, I think now's time to eat it. So she eats the cookie. I swear to you, goes down to 69 and levels off and comes up to 85. And when it wow. was over, I was like, I'm so good at this. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. And I, and 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 to this moment, the only way I could describe to you all listening about how to do it is that after enough time, you can see when to eat. You can just see it on the on the on the Dexcom. I just know. For sure. And and yeah. And and I took the right steps. I used the right amount of insulin. I knew the two units of injected was the right correction for the 190. And then, you know, we put in insulin for the 10 carbs and I could just see it. I don't know. I don't know another way to explain it yet. I'm going to figure out a way to explain it one day, but for now you just, you know, after a while, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, getting to that point, I know that's, that's made my life even that much easier is no looking at my decks and saying, all right, either I need to do something to correct this, whether it's, you know, turn, you know, turn my basil down or just have something to eat to stop it or vice versa just knowing it's going to go too high and knowing, all right, I got to act now, knowing, knowing when to step in, it, it makes such a huge difference. I mean, for me to get, for me to see North of 160 or 165 on my decks is rare because of reacting at the, at the appropriate time. I'm thrilled for you, man. I really am. I I'm, I'm kind of a little amazed that it got to you and that, but, and I'm just, you know, I'm listen for people listening. I'm older. I generalize about people, just so you know. It's part of how I grew up. And Kyle doesn't fit the profile for listening to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Thank you. Obviously, I'm wrong, and anybody can be anything. I hear you. I hear millennials. I hear what you're saying to my ear, and I'm not not resistant to the idea. I'm just telling you that um, as a person – listen, if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you've heard me guess about people a lot and be right about people I've never met before. Sometimes my generalizations work out. This one just really surprised the heck out of me. It really did. So I'm thrilled yeah. for you. And I'm I'm super happy you came on and did this. Did we uh, not talk about anything that you wanted to? No, I, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. It was good. And I, I would just add, I, I uh, one of the reasons I reached out to you when you put a posting out about an adult that, you know, might want to talk to you is, is that I, I feel like I don't fit the profile. Um, I feel like I've, I was blessed with the ability to get this disease later in life. Not, not that it's a blessing to have this disease, but I'm so glad that I didn't get it at age at five or 10 or 15, that I was able to get it as an adult. Um, and I just encourage anyone who is listening or know someone that does need to listen to, to take control because it's doable at, at really any age. Huh. It's um, so just be bold, right? Be bold. Yeah. yeah. I can't believe that that turned into a, you know that in episode 11, I just 
I was just searching for words. And I said, I don't know. You have to like you know, be like bold with insulin. I had never said it before. I never, I don't think I ever wrote it down. I never had the thought. And as my process is, I record and then I go back and edit. And, and I don't edit for content as much as I edit for sound and flow and things like that. Um, and as I, I don't, I never know what I'm going to name the episodes. And when I got done, I thought, oh, I'll call this one Bold with Insulin. I said that in the podcast and that seems like catchy. And I put it on the episode and like a year later, it took like a year because the podcast was not particularly, I, I, I shouldn't denigrate it. It was more popular than most podcasts, but it, it wasn't like it is now in the first, yeah. you know, couple in the first year or so. But like a year into it, I started seeing people were hashtagging bold with insulin. And I was like, that's me. Like, I don't, I've never heard anybody else say that anywhere, you know? And, and that was, I was like, oh, that must be resonating with people. And that's really how I, I, that's all, man. I just said something randomly into a microphone that made sense to you. So yeah, well, that's cool. what, that's what grabbed my attention. And that's what uh, truly has been a big part of being where I am today from a management standpoint. Well, again, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely thrilled for you and I appreciate you coming on here, spending the time and, and, and talking with me. And I love that you ride. So I don't understand yeah. how you sit back like that while you're riding, but uh, it seems it's it seems the best. Like, it's so comfortable. That backrest and kick the legs up and high handlebars. It's great. I love it. I used to just lay on the gas tank and hold my head up with my left hand, <laughs> like, <laughs> like under my chin. We'd go out and ride. Um, uh, a, a close friend of mine is a police officer, and he's actually we're so old now. He's getting ready to retire. But when we were younger, um, they do three to elevens, and then there were a handful of guys that rode and you've never experienced motorcycle riding until you've ridden in the dead of night with a bunch of cops because you just, you know, no one has a fear of getting a ticket. So it's, yeah, it's, very, right. it's very interesting and fun way to ride. And, um, and I'd go out with them sometimes and they'd go on these long rides and I would just like, I'd be tired at some point. I was like, God, these guys ride forever. Like my riding was more like, you know, transportation and then a little bit of leisure but at the same time, like I was the guy, I'm the guy that like, I'd come up to a left turn and I'd be like, I wonder how far I can lay this bike over before that foot peg hits the ground. <laughs> like, you know, like it was more like that. And so I'd get bored cause they cruising along and I'd jump out and then come back and jump out and come back. I think they hated me, but, uh, <laughs> but when they got real cruisy, I just lay on the gas tank and put my hand under my chin and hold my head up. And, um, they were all just seated back. Like they were in a Barco lounger. So <laughs> Yeah, no, that so so you not understanding how I ride the way I ride, I'm the same way. How can you lay down and look up? And that just sounds uncomfortable. Yeah. But hey, it takes all kinds. And I'm a motorcycle enthusiast, so I love, I love motorcycles. I really do. I I genuinely hope that um I can I'd like to move somewhere more rural and and do it as an older person uh, for leisure, but. I don't know. So Utah's pretty good for it. So my wife, my wife's going to make me stay near these kids. I know. She, I mean, <laughs> not that I don't want to, but here's my biggest fear, Kyle. Is one of them's going to go live one place. One's going to live in the other place. And my wife's going to be like, we have to pick a spot in the middle with an airport. And then I'm going to end <laughs> up in somewhere I don't want to be. You know what I mean? Omaha. Yeah. Hey, I'm like not that, denigrating yeah. the uh, insurance capital <laughs> of the world. I'm just saying that I don't, I don't want humidity and I don't want snow. And can the kids yeah. please move like that? Because... Yeah, I'm getting yeah, achy as yeah. I get older. All right, man. Thank you so much. I, I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. It, it was a great time.
A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N.com forward slash juice box. Thanks also to Touched by Type 1. Check them out at touchedbytype1.org. And the Contour Next 1 blood glucose meter, which you can find out more about at contournext.com forward slash juice box.